We are in the middle of a series on the life of Joseph, and we have come to a, a great chapter where at the end we're going to see that Jacob and Joseph are going to be reunited after 22 years of being separated. And we're going to talk more about that, obviously, later on as we wrap things up. But I want to begin with this. You'll notice in chapter 46, the first verse, it says, So Israel, which is another name for Jacob and obviously his descendants, began his journey taking with him all that he had. I want to talk for a little bit tonight about our journey through life and just what this chapter teaches us once again about the realization that our journey is never just about us. Let me repeat that. Our journey in life is never just about us. So keep that in mind and come down with me to verses 8 through verse 25. You will see in the middle of the chapter that basically from verse 8 through verse 25, all you have there is a list of names of everyone in Jacob's family that's going to head down to Egypt. And the reason why I want to start in this section is for this very reason. All of these names might not mean anything to us, you know. And yet, can I tell you, there's some great names in this chapter. Uh, You've got to go to verse 21. What do you think of Muppin, Huppin, and Ard? I mean, are they not the best Bible names ever? I'm thinking if somebody's getting ready to have a baby, come on. Muppin, Huppin, and Ard. I mean, you can't go wrong with those names. But we might, we might not, you know, think much of these names. But, but put yourself in, in the people who would have been the first ones to read about this. These were their ancestors. Because these are all the heads of the twelve tribes of Israel. And the Israelites knew what tribe they came from so they could trace their, you know, ancestry. You want to talk about Ancestry.com, this would have been the original right here. And so they could, in a sense, see where their roots came from and where their ancestors and their descendants came from. And this would have meant something to them. But it also should mean something to us, too, in this way. It reminds us that the decisions that we make in life have far-reaching ramifications, not only for our life, but also for the lives of others. Let me repeat that again. Because our journey is never just about us. I mean, even going back to verse 1 about God calling Jacob Israel, that name just wasn't for him. That was a name that was going to designate an entire nation. Because God wanted to instill in His people, even in the book of Genesis with everything beginning, that the journey in life is never about us. It's about, or not about just us, it's about the group of us. And so you think about it. Every decision that you and I make in life doesn't just affect us. 
The ramifications of those decisions and choices that you and I make affect so many other people. And that's one of the things that the realizations that God wants to bring into play here in Genesis 45. Israel or Jacob wasn't just making this decision to leave Canaan and go to Egypt for himself. His whole family was going to be affected. The whole history of Israel was going to be affected by this. And you and I, maybe on a much smaller scale, have to come to that realization, and hopefully we have a long time ago. Then that's why we should take the decisions and choices that we make so seriously. Because when we make these decisions and choices, they're not just affecting us. They could be affecting generations to come. We certainly, and this is not the only example I could give, but we certainly felt that way as a family 11 plus years ago. When we moved from upstate New York to Phoenix, Arizona, that that was not, that choice was not just going to affect Lisa and I, but obviously that was going to send our son and our daughter on a trajectory in their life that was going to totally change the outcome of their life forever. It was never going to be the same again. And that's what's happening here. In our individualistic approach to the Christian life, we have lost the sense of belonging. Of belonging to something bigger than us. Because one of the things that I battle, you know, and and I think, you know, we as Christians battle is that even church, many people approach church and being part of a church and it's about us. No, it's not. It's never just about us. It's about God, first of all, and then it's about a much bigger group than just us. That's what's being reinforced here. Not only does God want us to understand that our life and the decisions and choices are going to touch so many other people, but that God wants us to be part of something bigger than us. And wants us to move as a group rather than just all of us going out there individually and going separate ways. That's why God uses the, the idea of, of a body when he talks about us as New Testament Christians. He says, you are part of a body. Well, how dysfunctional would a body be if the arm starts to go this way and the leg starts to go this way and and every piece and part of the body all goes its own way rather than working in a coordinated effort to to go in, in the same direction. And that's what's hard to get even Christians to see today is to be willing to be part of something bigger than themselves and be willing to move in the same direction. In, in a sense, this is now going to be the challenge that I think God is really placing before us as the Oasis Church. Now that we have got this piece of land, and now that you know the, 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 the challenge for us is going to be Not that it's about the land and the buildings that are eventually going to be built on the land. It's about moving a whole group of people, just like Jacob had to do, in one direction. Getting us all going the same way. Letting go of our own agendas and being willing to compromise and cooperate with with a much larger group than just us. That's what we see happening here. 
I mean, at Jacob's point in life, the easy thing would have been to stay in Canaan. He was 130 years old at this point. And yet he understood, I'm the head of this family. And what I'm going to choose to do and lead my family to do is going to affect us for, again, generations to come. These names from verse 8 through verse 25 are reminding us that these people were connected to each other. They were living in community with each other. There was a cohesive continuity, a corporate flavor, if you will, to what was happening here. And that's something God wants us to see even in the New Testament age as His people. In fact, with that said, if you go back up to chapter 46... I'll point this out and then we'll go back and see some other things too. But you'll notice when Jacob gets to Beersheba, the Bible says he offered sacrifices not to his God alone. Notice it says to the God of his father, Isaac. And then when God speaks to Jacob in verse 3, he says, I am God, the God not just of you. I am the God of your father. Why? Why is it worded that way? Because again, God wants even Jacob to see that Jacob, don't ever forget the spiritual heritage that you had before you. Don't forget, Jacob, you are tethered to your past and you need to be thankful for your father Isaac and for your grandfather Abraham because you are always going to be tethered and tied to them as well as now you have to understand too that the things that you are doing you are setting forth an example and a precedent and and a lead for the generations that come after you it goes in both directions i think of some of us here tonight some of us have a a spiritual heritage you know that that our say our relationship with god wasn't the start that that we had a family uh, where our ancestors, if you will, our parents, our grandparents worshiped God and what we received was passed down from generations. And for those of us that are in that place, we need to be very thankful for that spiritual heritage, but we also need to recognize the responsibility that we're, we're somewhere in the middle of that and we've got to keep passing it on. Now for others of us, we didn't have a family that, you know, was, say, worshipers of God. So we were the ones that maybe started it in our family. We were the ones that started the legacy and started the spiritual heritage. How cool is that? I, I commend you for being that in, in your, you know, family. But think about that, that what you have started, obviously you're, you're going to care about wanting that to continue and be passed down from generation to generation. That's what's happening here. God is in this chapter through Jacob, through the story of Joseph, reminding us that we're always part of something bigger than ourselves. 
And what we choose to do or not choose to do never just affects us, but the ramifications affect so many others around us. And that God wants us to be part of a community and a group that's much bigger than us and that we all you know, are able to learn to work together and grow together and, and accomplish things for God and do it together. All right, I got that off my chest. And, and I think part of why I'm so passionate about that is because I don't always see that even amongst Christians today. And I think another reason I'm passionate about that is I, I feel very much that God is impressing upon me. This is exactly where we're at as a church. It's like God is leading us somewhere and it's like, who's with us? Who's, who's going to be part of this? Are you, are you with us? Are you part of us? Are you willing to go with us on this journey? That's important to know who's going to be with us. And so that's what was happening here. So back up to verse 1. Israel began his journey, taking with him all that he had. Now remember something here too. He is about to launch out into one of the most incredible faith ventures of his life, and he's doing it when he's 130 years of age. And so the principle or point there is this. You and I, no matter how long we've walked with God, no matter how old we are physically or how mature we are spiritually, we never stop walking by faith. We never get to a place in life where we don't have to trust God anymore. Never. And the cool thing about that is, is that means our whole life has purpose, meaning, and has a sense of mission to it. That even when, you know, Jacob was 130 years of age, he was still going after God and still trusting God and still saying, okay, God, if this is where you're leading, I'll leave the familiar, I'll leave the comfortable, even at 130, and I'll follow you down to Egypt. That's what's so cool about continually following the Lord. It never gets boring when you truly follow God. He's always got some other challenge out there for us to trust Him. That's part of our spiritual growth. We never outgrow the need to trust God and the need for faith. And we see that here with Jacob. But notice here as we continue in verse 1, it says, When he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Why Beersheba? Well, a couple of reasons. One, we'll start here. This was a sacred spot in his family. This was a place where his grandfather Abraham met with God. This was a place where his father Isaac met with God. And so in their family, this was a significant sacred spot to sort of meet with God, a place where he could get alone with God. And it was more than just even he and God being alone. The spot itself, the place itself held some significance. Maybe you have a place like that in your life. Maybe there's a, a spot, a place, a location that carries with it some spiritual significance for you. Sometimes it can be crazy places. 
Let me share one of those places with you all from our family. The chairlift at Lake Placid, New York. That's where my son accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. On a chairlift at Lake Placid, New York. So every time Lisa and I see something about Lake Placid or the Olympics or we see that ski lift, there's a significance there. That's where our son accepted Christ. There's places like that for us. This was that place. But this place also had another significance. It was sort of geographically the point of no return. It was the southernmost part of Israel. And when you left Beersheba, you ended up going out into this desert, basically, wasteland. And the next place you would come to would be the cities of Egypt. So it was like, once you left Beersheba, there was not going to be anything between you and, and there. I believe that that desert wasteland was where, in centuries later... It's where the children of Israel, because of their unbelief, ended up just wandering around for 40 years. Because they didn't trust in the Lord. So this was going to be like that, that last place. And why does Jacob come to this place to offer sacrifices? Well, let's remember that offering sacrifices in the Old Testament was a way of drawing near to God and worshiping God. Remember, without the shedding of blood, there, there is no remission of sins. And, and part of offering sacrifices was a reminder of, of our sins separating us from a holy God, and we needed to bring sacrifices to draw near and to worship. Thank God in the New Testament age, the blood has already been shed for us. And we don't have to bring an offering of blood anymore to enter into the presence of God and draw near to Him and worship Him. Because of what Jesus has done, you and I can have access to God anytime we want. Anywhere we want. And we can draw near to Him and we can worship Him. And so that's what, that's what Jacob was doing. He was worshiping his God there at Beersheba. It's again a reminder and an example for us of how important it is that we have times where we personally draw near to God and we worship Him. But why was he doing this? Because he knew that this was, this was not just going to affect him. This was going to have far-reaching consequences and ramifications. And therefore, he wanted to make sure that this was God's will for him to go down to Egypt. He wanted to meet with God and make sure we have to make sure that as New Testament Christians, that we are getting clear direction from God before we make moves. You see. Because one of the things that we have to be careful of, and the reason I bring this out is because I hear this a lot from other Christians, is the Lord is leading me to do such and such. And, and one of the things that we have to, though, always add to that is this. God has already spoken to us in His Word. And God will never lead us contradictory to what His Word is already telling us to do. 
So we have to make sure that when we say God is leading us, that that in no way is somehow contradicting what God has already said in His Word. That's primarily how God leads us today, you see. It's through His Word. And yes, if we feel that God is speaking to us or whatever through His Holy Spirit, then we've got to make sure that it lines up with the Word of God. God is never going to lead us contradictory to what His Word says. Now, obviously, in the book of Genesis, the Old Testament hadn't even been finished yet. So Jacob didn't have the Word of God to consult. So he comes to God and basically is saying, God, I want to make sure, because I'm at the point of no return, that before I leave Beersheba and head toward Egypt, that this is truly what you want. And so the Bible says in verse 2, God spoke to Israel in a vision during the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. Can I just say that? I love that. I love that the God of the universe knows us by name and calls us by name. And, and think about this, because I, I was thinking about this as I was preparing. One day... Every last one of us in here, we're going to hear the Lord Jesus say our name. I mean, I, I've never audibly heard Jesus say my name, but one day I am. I'm going to hear him call me by name. What an incredible time that will be. Now, obviously, I think like any of us, notice Jacob's reply. Here I am. And God said, I am God. Now that might seem like, well, of course, God, you're God. But what God is saying to him by using this word for God is this means I'm the one and only God. There are no other gods. I'm it. And the second time he uses the word God, it means the almighty God, the God of strength and power, the God of your father Isaac and obviously of your grandfather Abraham. And I'm sure the thoughts would have then flooded into Jacob's head because it certainly flooded into my head. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're the same God that helped my grandmother and grandfather have a child when they were 100 years old and 75 years old. My father Isaac. You are a God that nothing is impossible for. You are a God of strength and power. You are the Almighty God. And therefore, all I have to to know God from you is, is this where you're leading us? Because if you're leading us, then I've got everything I need. I've got you. Which is why then I love this. After God declares who He is, He says to Jacob, Do not be afraid. Now, God would not have told Jacob not to be afraid unless what? Unless Jacob was afraid. Jacob was just like us. Those moments in our life where we're trying to discern God's will. God, is this this of you or not? I'm not sure that this is what I should do. And God says, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. For notice, first of all, he says, for I will make you into a great nation there. 
And, and the emphasis in the Hebrew is even there. In other words, God is saying, I know this sounds crazy, Jacob, but because of who I am, I'm the one and only God, the Almighty, the God of strength and power. I can work unbelievable things even in Egypt. It's not about where you're at. It's about you being connected to me. And even in Egypt, I can make you into a great nation even there. So what we get gather from that then is this. It's not so much where we're at as who we're connected to. Because God is not limited to certain places and, and certain times to be able to work. God can do anything, anywhere. The most important thing is that you, we and God are on the same page. Which is what Jacob wanted to make sure was happening here. And then God tells him, I will go down with you to Egypt. I love this because in the Hebrew it means, I will fellowship with you, I will be your companion, I will help and I will support you. And so notice again the principle. God never leads His people somewhere where He won't go with them. You never see an instance in the Bible where God says to one of His people, okay, you go there and I'm staying here. God never does that. That's the encouraging thing for us. Anywhere God is leading us, He goes with us. Can I tell you how encouraging and reassuring that is for me right now, again, in the history of our church? Because God's getting ready to say to us, pull up the tent pegs, we're moving. And I'd be scared to death if I didn't think God was going with us. And I want you to feel that way too. Whatever God is asking you to do, wherever God is leading you, know this. If God's leading you somewhere... God will go with you. He will always be there in fellowship, companionship, to help and support just as he was to Jacob and to Jacob's family. Then he goes on to say this, and I will myself certainly bring you back from there. The words mean, I will enable you to ascend, to climb, to arise. You see, if God, in a sense, brings us down, not just physically, but in, in a way, if He humbles us, it's not to keep us down. It's so that we will learn the lessons and grow that we need to in order to rise us back up and raise us back up to a place of prominence. That's what He was promising here. And He was also saying this. He's saying, I'm a faithful God who will keep my promises. I promised your great uh, your grandfather Abraham, this is what I would do. I will keep my promise. I will be true to my word. I will bring you back. Because that's what I promised to do. And my word is good. And so again, he's giving Jacob the reassurance that he needs. And one last precious thing God tells him at Beersheba before he even leaves. He says, Jacob or excuse me, Joseph will close your eyes. It means that Joseph, even though he hasn't seen his beloved son for 22 years, will care for you until your dying day. He will be present with you when you die. Because even to this day, the Jews, if someone dies, someone is there to close the eyes in death. 
And God promises Jacob that even though you haven't seen your son for many, many years, he will be there when you die. And he will care for you until your dying day. So notice, verse 5. Then Jacob started out from Beersheba and the sons of Israel. Can you get this picture in your head? They carry their father Jacob, their little children, their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent along to transport him. Jacob and all his descendants took their livestock, their possessions that they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and they went to Egypt. He brought with him to Egypt his sons, his grandsons, his daughters, his granddaughters. And don't miss these last three words of verse 7. All his descendants. No one was left behind. They all went. Because that's what God wants to see. He wants to see His people come together and all move together. Because it's not just about us. It's about us always being part of something bigger than ourselves. Whether it's a family, whether it's our community of faith, our local church, or whatever it is. It's always about knowing that the decisions that we make or we don't make not only is going to affect a lot of others, but God wants us to be part of something bigger. Because through Him we really are. Whether we realize it or not. It wasn't some of the descendants of Jacob that went down to Egypt. It was all of them. And so then in verses 8 through 25, all of them are listed. So then we come over to verse 26 and we read this. All the direct descendants of Jacob who went to Egypt with him were 66 in number. This number does not include the wives of Jacob's sons. Counting the two sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt, all the people of the household of Jacob who were in Egypt numbered 70. Now think about that for a minute. We're not going to dwell here, but think about how this nation did grow. (laughs) Even just physically. They went from 70 to a couple million people before Moses pulled them out 400 years later. That 400 years of Egypt, they really grew into a great nation. Verse 28. Jacob sent Judah before him. And the words mean to take the lead. And if you've been with this, you understand this is significant. Remember, Judah had made a lot of mistakes. He had had a lot of past failures, but this reminds us that in spite of the past failures that Judah had, he had now proved himself faithful and he was the leader. In fact, Jacob is even going to prophesy later on that he and his descendants will be the leaders. They will be the kings of Israel. Every king of Israel came from the tribe of Judah. And so it reminds us that, you know, God is a God of second chances and second opportunities. And we can prove ourselves faithful to God and God can use us in great ways even after past failure. We have to look no further than someone like Judah in the Bible to be reminded of that principle. And so it says, Jacob sent Judah before him to Joseph to accompany him to Goshen. So they came to the land of Goshen. Joseph harnessed 
his chariot and went up to meet his father Israel in Goshen. And here we have a very precious, powerful moment in the Bible. When he met him, he hugged his neck and wept on his neck for quite some time. This was a joyous reunion. I thought about this. I thought, you know, that's one of the precious things that God promises us as as His people. Is that when Jesus comes back, that there's going to be this great reunion one day that takes place. That you and I will have the opportunity to see our loved ones who've went before us once again. And we're going to have a great reunion. I think about my dad who's been up there now for 23 years. I think about my brother and sister who've been in heaven for 50 plus years. I think about not only my family members, but my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that, that have been dear to me down through my years in the church who are already there in heaven. And just like this very joyous reunion, I can't even imagine. Because Jacob thought he'd never see his son again. He thought he was gone. And to hear that, in a sense, he's alive. We saw a couple weeks ago how that just brought Jacob back to life again. I thought, what a precious happening here that finally Joseph gets to see his father again and Jacob gets to see his precious son again. And then it says, Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds, herdsmen. They take care of livestock. They have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. Let me stop there for just a moment and share this as well. Why is this important? So often as human beings, when we are put especially in a new environment, like they were leaving their familiar familiarity of Canaan, and they were going to a new place, Egypt. The temptation for all of us as to human beings is to try to be something or someone that we're not. Even when we meet somebody maybe that we don't know very well or we're in a new situation, sometimes it's very hard for us to relax with who we are. To relax with who God made us to be. And I love the fact because it's like Joseph is shutting down once and for all because Jacob and his whole entire family has been known for years about being dishonest and not transparent and not upfront. And Joseph is like right away saying, don't try to be something you're not here in Egypt. This is who you are. This is who you've always been. Relax with that. And I thought, you know what? I need to remind all of us of that tonight. Because God made each of you 
as a special, unique creation of His. And the best thing that you and I can do is learn to relax with who we are and who God made us to be. And to stop trying to be what we're not, but to just be who we are. You see, we're just shepherds. We're here in the most powerful nation on earth now in Egypt, but we're just shepherds. And God was going to have a plan for that. Because the Bible says that he goes on to say, the men are shepherds, they take care of livestock, they brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And Pharaoh will summon you and say, what is your occupation? Tell him. Your servants have taken care of cattle from our youth until now, both we and our fathers, so that you may live in the land of Goshen. We saw last week, the land of Goshen was the best pasture land in Egypt. And it was almost like God had reserved that for them because the Egyptians didn't want the pasture land. Being herdsmen and shepherds were like, ooh, to the Egyptians. See, even in that culture thousands of years ago, the Egyptians were very uh, an, an aloof people. Even thousands of years ago, they considered themselves so cultured and whatever that to do things like shepherding and herding and, and agricultural things and all that, that was beneath them. So again, God had this all worked out. Here was the, here's this best pasture land in the whole nation of Egypt. And guess who's going to get it? the people of God, and they're going to get it for 400 years. Because he ends chapter 46 with this reminder that from the Egyptian perspective, everyone who takes care of sheep is disgusting. Literally in the Hebrew, an abomination to the Egyptians. It's like, ooh. And let me remind you then of what we said weeks ago. Of Then why was it God's plan to take His people from Canaan and put them in Egypt for 400 years? What was His purpose? Let's remember why. Because when they were in Canaan, they began to intermarry with the Canaanites. They began to adopt the idolatrous practices of the Canaanites. The Canaanites influenced the people of God more than the people of God influenced the Canaanites. So God knows, if I send my people down to Egypt, the Egyptians won't even want to be an influence on my people. Because to them, it would be beneath them to intermarry or to have any kind of relationship with these herdsmen from Canaan. So they will leave my people alone for 400 years. Now God here again, please, He's not advocating that we isolate ourselves. That's not where I'm going with this. But what God is doing is this. His people had forgot who they were in Canaan. And his people needed to get apart enough with him to begin to rediscover who they were supposed to be because they forgot who they were supposed to be. And they needed to get down to Egypt and in a sense be cut off from some negative influence for a while to build themselves up to where they rediscovered who they really were. And I think what I take away from that is I need to be reminded of that as well. That's part of why I need to make sure that in my spiritual life, 
that I don't isolate myself from the world, but that I make sure that I take time and make time to get alone with my God and keep reminding myself of who I need to be with Him because sometimes there's so many voices in our lives and so many people pulling us in so many different directions that we forget who we really are or we just try to be who everyone else wants us to be and we're not being who we need to be. And that's why it's so important that we make sure that we get along with God. That we have our Beersheba in our life. Our place where it's just us and God and where we're clearly hearing from God. And where we do step away from the world for a time. And I think that's why God's people are called to come out and to assemble together and to be together. Because we need to get away from all the voices and the, and the stuff that we're hearing out there. And we need to get to a place where we can just clearly hear from God and rediscover who God wants us to be. And that's exactly what Egypt was going to be for 400 years to the, to the people of God. It was there before God sent Moses to deliver them. That God's people would not only grow physically, but they would begin to, to remember who they were supposed to be. Because they had forgot. Tonight, may we be reminded that God always calls His people to be, some, to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And that the journey that all of us are on, like Jacob is a journey that the decisions and choices that we make have ramifications not just for us, but for so many others. You realize here that what we read about tonight still affects us. It affected world history and continues to affect world history and will until God's kingdom comes. And we need to realize that as well. And so I hope tonight that God has encouraged you through His Word and refreshed you through His Word. And that if God is leading, if you feel God is speaking to you, make sure it lines up with His Word. Take time to make sure before you make that choice and decision that it is clearly coming from God. And then go in confidence, knowing just like with Jacob, that God says, I'll go with you and I'll even bring you back. I will be faithful and I will be there with you every step of the way. I'm so glad as the pastor of the Oasis Church that I know that the journey that God has us on as a church is a journey that you and I aren't going on by ourselves, but we're going with God. And I think we're just in that mode right now where we're, we're just trying to figure out who's going with us. Who's, who's going to be in that list of the people who go with us and see what God does through this group of people? And as I've shared with you before, I think God has great things planned for us. I can't wait to see what God does. I hope you'll join me on the journey. Let's pray. God, thank you for being so faithful, for going ahead of us, for seeing the end from the beginning, 
for showing us, Lord, that there's purpose in absolutely everything that you lead us to. And God, we've certainly seen that with the life of Joseph, and now we even see it once again as we see it in the life of Jacob, his father, and in the life of Joseph's brothers. God, I pray tonight that you would use this passage of Scripture to just draw us closer to you, help us to hear you speaking to us, and help us to live, Lord, with the confidence and clarity that your people should live with. God, again, it's amazing to me that events that have happened thousands of years ago can still be relevant and applicable to us today. But they are. Because the Bible is alive. And people, in their basic nature, haven't changed since the beginning of time. We still have the same needs and the same fears that the people thousands of years ago had. So God, I pray that that these Old Testament Scriptures would just come alive for us. And that we would even be able to enter into these stories ourselves and see ourselves in the struggles and and, and the challenges that these people had. And God, that these stories from the Old Testament would help and enable us to live for you in an even greater way. Thank you for these precious people who come out on a Wednesday night in the middle of the week to hear your word and to fellowship and to worship you. God bless them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, for being here. We'll see you next week.